Good morning, church family. Good morning. We were gone for a couple weeks as a family, and uh, i got to be honest with you, when I walked into the sanctuary for the first time in two weeks, I was getting chills. It's, it's good to be with the church family. It is good to be with the church family. And it was nice visiting other churches, and in the church that we were able to worship and visit at gave our family a warm welcome, and we felt really welcomed, and that was nice. And it's been really encouraging for me as a pastor to hear people tell me, man, your church is so welcoming. You know, so if you're a guest, we pray and hope that you feel welcomed and you greet it warmly when you uh, entered into the sanctuary. Or And it is a warm day outside, but we want to be hotter in here for, for the Lord and for one another. And today the topic is about the love of Christ, the love of Christ, the love of Christ it's interesting, as Brother Brian Chia read uh, Ephesians 3, that the Ephesians and every other saint would know and comprehend the love of Christ, the breadth, the length, the height and depth of the love of Christ. Why was this the prayer of the Apostle Paul, this man of God who clearly loved Christ, he prayed that every saint will be able to comprehend, understand the love of Christ. Right now, if you're honest, as I look out right now, there's a ton of people I'm grateful to see everybody. If you're honest, you may not be saying, I feel loved right now. If you're really honest with yourself. I know what I should believe, but I'm not quite feeling it. You know, and that's the Christian life. Sometimes you're feeling on high and on the mountaintop with God. Other times, not so. So I believe Paul prays this prayer because he understands this is a central fuel, the central driving force in his life and every Christian's life. And Paul takes us deeper into the love of Christ today through 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 and 15. And really, this is a way to counsel ourselves and others. We are in the counseling series, but really this is life as a Christian. Whether we, how we mentally counsel ourselves or we counsel others. We need to understand the love of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, if you, if you have your Bibles, please turn there. I'm going to give you a little context and to make uh, more sense of why Paul is talking about the love of Christ out of 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians is Paul's most personal letter. What do I mean by that? This is where he opens up his soul to the whole church of Corinth and even to all of us 2,000 years later. He opens up his heart to let us know what's inside. See, the, the Apostle Paul was under duress, as I was described last week by Pastor Victor. The church was turning on him. The church was infested with false teachers who were basically saying, this apostle is a fake. He's not sincere. He's not genuine. He doesn't know what he's talking about. They even questioned his ability to preach. And they even mocked the way he looked. So Paul is in some ways defending himself and saying, look, I am a real apostle of Christ. I'm not using you. I'm not leading you astray. I'm going to give you what's inside you right now to show you what ticks with inside of me. And this is important for us to see. Because basically he's telling us how he 
counsels himself. What keeps him going? So let's rise as we read 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Two verses, then we'll pray, and then we'll begin the sermon. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. Keep in mind, the Apostle Paul is being as transparent as glass right now. He's letting us know what's inside of him. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. This is the word of the Lord, church. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this portion of scripture. Thank you for what you're doing in the life of Paul that will benefit us today, Lord. Thank you how you taught him that the love of Christ is everything to him and to every single believer. Help us to understand the love of Christ. Take us deeper into the truth of the love of Christ so that we would feel it more, so that we will understand and know you more. Spirit of God, do this, Lord, because this is an impossible task to explain what's on this paper, Lord. It's got to be coming from the power of your Holy Spirit. So soften our hearts to hear your truth. Empower my words. Guard my heart from sin, Lord, as we preach and hear the word of God preached right now. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Just so we could follow along easier, I'll give you the four points ahead of time. It's kind of like sign markers along the road so you can kind of trace where we're going. The love of Christ pressures us. There's a lot of P's here. There's four of them. The love of Christ pressures us. Number two, the love of Christ purchased us. He purchased us. The love of Christ purchased us. Number three, the love of Christ pinpointed us. Pinpointed us, specifically targeted you and me Christians finally fourthly the love of Christ possesses us owns us possesses us so let's get let's get to the first uh, point here the love of Christ pressures us read with me verse 14 again for the love of Christ controls us this is what Paul said the love of Christ this is agape the love that Christ has for us. Not necessarily Paul's love for Christ, but the love that Christ has for you and me, Christians. The love of Christ, uh, Christ's love that was shown to Paul. So this is how much Christ loves you and me. This form of love is the highest form of love. This is the purest expression of love. This is the sacrificial love of the will. This is a love that thinks about the benefit of the, uh, of the other. This is the love that Christ has for every single Christian. And it says this, Paul says this, it, the love of Christ controls us. It controlled him. Another word could be constrains him. Constra- constrains us. It gripped him. Paul knew the love of Christ so intimately that it pressured him. This is where we get our first point. The love of Christ pressured him. It pressures us. I mean, this was the greatest pressure point in Paul's life. He understood the love of Christ so much that it was an all-encompassing love that he had. And this is what drove Paul. When I thought about this point and, and how to explain the love of Christ, how it controls us, I thought about a diamond, how a diamond is formed. Diamond is formed by carbon that goes under immense pressure for many years. 
And the carbon is actually transformed into a diamond. Incredible pressure. Think about that for Paul. Paul, who was a darkened sinner, the worst of us. He used to persecute and murder Christians. But he experienced the love of Christ, and he was from all angles being pressured and pressed down by the love of Christ. And it transformed him to be one of the most brilliant Christians to ever walk the earth. This is what Paul is talking about. I mean, it transformed him so much, it prepared him to undergo trials. I mean, let me just read to you what he, how all in he was for Christ. He was sold out for Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11, it talks about five times he received 39 lashes. He was whipped 39 times to the point of death, five separate occasions. He was beaten by rods on three separate, separate occasions. He was stoned. They thought he was dead. He was shipwrecked three times trying to minister the gospel. He went through dangers on his journeys, through rivers and robbers, Jews and Gentiles. And it was the love of Christ that kept him showing up. Keep in mind, the reason why they're trying to stone him or whip him is because he's preaching Christ. It isn't because he's just randomly being chosen. There's a reason why the world is attacking him. What would keep you from getting back back into the ring every single time? One of those are enough for many of us, right? I need to take a break. No, no, no. He just kept getting up, dusting himself off supernaturally, and just kept going. The love of Christ is what he's talking about. This is the pressure that kept them, kept them off the ground and back into the fight. The love of Christ. The love of Christ. Honestly, most of us, and perhaps all of us, we can't even relate to this type of persecution, this type of suffering. There's no way. I mean, if, if we would know about it, if this is what's happening to any of us. However, I know... Undoubtedly, all of us are going through some type of trial. Whether it's a physical trial, whether it's just the business of raising children, maybe just had a brand new newborn, the business of work, just living in this uh, culture today in somewhat is a challenge. Perhaps it's a difficult marriage financial trials, whatever. There's some kind of thing that the Lord is orchestrating in your life to show us where our greatest motivation comes from. If your pressure is from a worldly nature, God will expose that through these hardships. Meaning some worldly pressures. If the love of Christ was the pressure that uh, was applied to Paul's life, there are other types of pressures. Like maybe the reason why you're in your ministry or in your work or in your relationship because out of obligation or duty. I have to do this. I have to do this. Maybe you feel a sense of guilt. People put guilt trips on you. It's like, if you don't do this, you know, people are going to think you're not a good person you know perhaps you're doing it for a reward if I do this I'll get there's be some kind of payback for me someday right there's different types of pressure we all understand this you know but perhaps right now you start to feel bitterness like why am I the one having to take care of our aging parents 
Why am I the one who has to always pick up for the kids? Why am I the one who has to keep serving in this ministry? Why? Perhaps you're getting burned out. Perhaps you're feeling entitled. When is anyone going to acknowledge me? When is someone going to recognize what I've been doing for many years? And, and, and being appreciated and things like that, obviously there's nothing wrong with that. The Lord says to acknowledge those who are doing good. I mean, we understand this. But sometimes it doesn't come the way that we want it to. And if we're source of energy or source of motivations come from worldly pressures, these things are going to show up if the trials get hard enough. Many of us have high thresholds. I get that. As I look out, I see a lot of resilient people. That was kind of a word that was used yesterday. Resilient people. I get that. There's certain like, gaman, you know, in Japanese, like, I'll just keep going no matter what. I, I understand that. But what is going inside your heart as you're serving in these ways? Well, Paul would Counsel, counsel you in this way if you met with him hey, it's the love of Christ that controls me this is the reason why am I able to get mocked by my own church or the church I've loved so much and keep going because I know Christ loves me so much do you know the love of Christ I mean that, I, I bet you would say something like that so this is a good way to kind of examine ourselves like what actually is the greatest pressure in our life and these next couple points are going to tell us what the love of Christ is. We know what the love of Christ did for Paul, and we know what the love of Christ should do for every Christian. But now, Paul is going to give us data, information, on how deep the love of Christ is. I think every Christian in here would say, yeah, I know that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. But do you know what the Bible actually says about the love of Christ for you? And the more we understand this, I believe we'll get, we'll begin to feel his love even more, right? As we get informed. So let's go to point number two here. How much pressure did Paul feel? Well, he understood that the love of Christ purchased him, purchased him. Just, we're still at verse 14. The second, uh, after the first comma, having concluded this, Paul is saying, I thought about it. I've discerned it. I prayed over it. I journaled over it. However, he processed information. He goes, what does the love of Christ look like? Well, having concluded this, that one died for all. The love of Christ is most vividly shown in the fact that Jesus Christ died for sinners like you and me on the cross. And it says one died for all, for the benefit of others. This is agape love, for all, not for himself, but for all. Jesus died for sinners. And he concluded this, that love was the motivation that held Jesus on the cross for you and me. I mean, verses like 1 John 3, 16, 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Romans 5, 8, Paul writes, but God demonstrates his love toward us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love is the motivation that held Christ on the cross for you and me. I mean, what happened on the cross? Just look down uh, in your Bible, 2 Corinthians five twenty one. just go down to seven verses, and it says this, this is what happened. This is called the great substitution. He made him, God the Father made him, Christ, his son, who knew no sin, who was perfect. Christ is holy. Christ is God. 
to be sin on our behalf. Christ didn't become a sinner, but Christ was treated like a sinner. On whose behalf? On our behalf, on the behalf of Christians. Why, Paul, comma, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, so that we will be precious in his sight, so we will be holy in his sight, so God could see us as perfect as his own son. Love drove Christ to the cross. What happened? He substituted for us. It was the great exchange. And this is how sinners are forgiven. This is how God the Father, who is holy and perfect, the perfect judge, could say, okay, brother, okay, or, or son, daughter, you're mine. Because I dealt with your sin on the cross. What was the purchase price? Well, Acts 20, 28 says he purchased us with his blood. 1 Peter 1, 17 and 18 says, we were not redeemed with perishable things such as silver and gold, not with money, not with physical things, but with the precious blood of Christ. Jesus Christ paid with his own blood because he loves his people to purchase you and me. The eternal one died for his created ones. That's that's love. For the love of Christ controls us. Do we understand this? And if you're not a Christian, you don't understand this. You'd be like, okay. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have never experienced the love of Christ. So if you're here visiting, we're grateful that you're here. Many, maybe you've been here for years and decades, but you actually have never given your life to Christ as your Lord and Savior. I mean, this is what the essence of Christianity is about, that Jesus Christ, God himself, dies for sinners so that God himself could forgive you and treat you like his own. Otherwise, he will treat you upon death as his enemy, and you will be separated from him forever. And this is the essence of Christianity, right, friends? That, that you repent, that means you turn away from your sins, and you believe in the gospel by trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yes, Lord, I believe you love me so much that you died for my sins. You're alive and you're coming back. I want to live for you. I want to be pressured like Paul now. I want to live everything, do everything in my life for you, Lord Jesus. This is the mark of a Christian. So if you haven't done this, I urge you to do it today. And if, you've, if this is the first day of your new life in Christ, let us know. Let me know. Let one of the pastors know. Let the friend that brought you know so that we could help you. This is not a solo life. This is a, you've just joined the family of God. A diamond uh, is formed with incredible pressure, like I started off saying earlier. Matter of fact, it's approximately 725,000, let me say that's a big number, 725,000 pounds per square inch pressed upon carbon to form it into diamond. After many years, it's transformed into diamond. And so we under, people who study these things, stones and rocks, understand how diamonds are formed. As Christians, we need to know what type of pressure the love of Christ puts on us. I mean, this is important now. We understand at the crux of it, the love of Christ is shown on the cross, but there's more. 
there's more. It's much more personal than this. It's much more eternal than this. How can you say that, Pastor? What can be greater than dying on the cross? Well, I'm going to show you. There's, there are more details to the love of Christ on the cross. And I believe this truth is going to help you and drive us deeper, deeper, deeper into the core of God's heart for us. And you're going to feel this pressure more. So the third point is this. The love of Christ pinpointed us. Pinpointed us. Verse 14 says this. Having concluded this, that one died for all, Christ died for every sinner, therefore all died. Therefore all died. It says one died for all. We know who that one is. That's Jesus Christ. In verse 15, it says he who died and rose again. And on down, it says Christ, Christ. Verse 17, in Christ. Verse 19, in Christ. Verse 20, in Christ, on Christ. It's talking about Christ. This one is Christ. Jesus Christ died for all, for the benefit of all. The key question here is that church is this. Who is all referring to? When it says that one died for all, we know who one is without a shadow of doubt. Who is all referring to? In other words, who did Jesus actually die for? In other words, as Jesus ascent from heaven to earth and is hanging on the cross, who is he thinking I'm dying for? All right, this is important because this takes us deeper into the meaning of the love of Christ. This is what drove Paul. This is Paul's giving us a, a, a look into his heart, what he actually believed and what pressured him into becoming a follower of Christ. There's three views that we let's just present today. I'll tell you what, what the Bible says, but uh, there's three views out there. One is a universal atonement, like he died for every person on the planet. And some sadly believe wrongly that every person will be saved someday. Obviously, we reject that. Clearly, some will be saved, some will be judged. We understand this clearly out of the scriptures. That's a universal atonement. That's the first one. That's an easy rejection. Number two and three are the one that could be a little bit more, more uh, challenging to grasp. Which one? Is it two or three? Number two, was it a potential atonement? Meaning, potentially, Jesus could save everyone. Jesus died for everyone he, as he's hanging on the cross, I'm dying for every single soul that would ever be created. Yet, only those who believe will actually be saved. It's a potential payment, potential, potential atonement. All right. And thirdly, was it an actual atonement? Was it an actual atonement? Meaning, Jesus Christ died specifically, only, exclusively for Christians. All right? This is a big question, so I want to do my best to explain that I believe it's the third one here. It was an actual atonement. He pinpointed you and me from eternity past, and he, he was hanging on the cross thinking about you and me, Christians. Okay, all is used three times here, so if you have your Bibles, this is very helpful. Three times is used here. One died for all, that's one, therefore all died, that's, that's two, and number three out of verse 15, and he died for all. All right. The second all is the key to understanding who did Jesus Christ die for. Verse 14, that the second all says this, Therefore, all died. Turn with me to your Bibles, Romans 6.5. I'm going to take my time with this because I want to do a thorough and good job of explaining this. This is where we need to teach well. 
Romans 6, 5. This is, this is so helpful because I'm kind of showing you how I actually go about interpreting the scriptures right now. This, I'm teaching you how to do this on your own some levels. We call this cross-referencing or, or, or Pastor Victor likes to call it hyperlinks, right? That's hyperlinking it. Like what other scriptures will shed more light on other portions of scriptures? Romans 6, 5 says this. Paul, same author, for if we have been become united, for if we have become united with him, if you're united with Christ in the likeness of this death, meaning if you died with Christ, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Let me read that again. Romans 6, 5 says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, comma, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. All right. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians five fourteen. One died for all, therefore all died. So if all refers to if every single person, that means every single person has been united with Christ, died with Christ, and every single person will rise with Christ. We know that's not going to happen. So therefore, this is talking about all Christians. One died for all Christians, every single believer. From past, present, and future, every single believer. So on the cross 2,000 years ago, brothers and sisters, Christians, we actually died with him. We actually died with him, and certainly, as the Bible says, we will rise with him someday. So union with Christ means this, that we died with Christ, and we rise with Christ. You can't separate the two. It's a package deal. If you're united with Christ, you will die with Christ and rise with Christ. This was an actual actual atonement. Jesus Christ's love pinpointed you and me from eternity past. He was targeting you and me, Christians, from back from eternity past. This is the type of love, that love that God has for us. And what does this tell us about the love of Christ? And this, this is going to take us a little bit deeper here, but it's going to make sense. I put these references in your app so that you don't have to necessarily write them all. But what does this show us? When Christ is hanging on the cross, if you can imagine that, Christ is hanging on the cross. The Son of God in human form is hanging on the cross. It goes all the way back to eternity. The love of Christ is eternal. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says he chose us before the foundations of the world. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 says, in love he predestined us as sons, to be adopted as sons. So God the Father knew you and me, Christians, from eternity past, before time began, and he actually chose you and me, Christians. And he actually predestined us to be his children, in love. And guess what the Father does after that? He sends his son to go to earth to take on human form. God, the son, left his throne, came to earth, put on the form of a human man, fully God, but added his human form, lived the perfect life, willingly, lovingly went to the cross, and God the Father treated him like he was the worst of us sinners. That's an eternal love. Meaning, Christians, you have been loved before time began. You've been, you have been loved from eternity past. That's deep. That's deep. I can't even put, wrap my mind around what that even looks like, but I know it's forever. But not only that, 
Not only that, the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of Christ controls us when he's hanging on the cross. Look what else what he has said that's been said in the scriptures. It was a personal love. Not only is it an eternal love, it's quite personal. John 15 says this, that that greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. His friends. How about John 10, the portion of the good shepherd? John 10, 11 says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's right. And he goes on to say in verse 14 and 15 of John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own from eternity past. He's known you and me. And my own know, my own know me. I lay down my life for the sheep. How about this? For those of us who are married, We're going to be married. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, comma, okay? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's there's no unclarity about this. Christ loved you and me from eternity past. Christ came down to die for you and me if you're his friend, his sheep, his bride, the church. I mean, think about it. It's like a marriage. Young men, if you're, even if you're a single older man, if you're looking for a bride, you're, not, you're just not going to propose to every single bride, right? You're going to pinpoint somebody and go after them, hopefully, in the right way. This is what Christ does. He comes for his bride, the church. He didn't come for any other people. Satan's bride. He came for his bride, the church. This is, this is so personal. So on the cross, let me just paint this picture on the cross the love of Christ was demonstrated in the most incredible way he is not thinking about every single person he's thinking about his friends not his enemies he's thinking about dying for his sheep not the goats he's thinking about his bride the church I'm dying for my church I came for you and I'm coming back after I rise up and go back to heaven. I mean, the love of Christ, imagine this with me, the love of Christ. In the love of Christ, Paul understood this, that you, that he is eternally loved as Christ died specifically for you and me. Paul understood this, and this drove him to be stoned. This drove him to be whipped. This drove him to uh, risk his life on sh- crazy ship rides. This drove him to keep loving the Corinthian church even if they're turning on him. The love of Christ controls us. This should drive you as you're caring for hard people to love. This should drive you and me as we're dealing with people who are difficult. This should drive you and me as we're dealing with thankless situations this is what drove Paul you may be still saying pastor I don't feel it still I got you I got you this quote may be helpful by Spurgeon Charles Spurgeon all right he preached on first Corinthians I'm mean, second Corinthians 514 beloved he preached you will feel the power of the love of Christ in your soul in proportion as you know it 
Study the love of Christ. Search deep and learn its secrets. Angels desire to look into it. Meaning, you're only going to feel the love of Christ as much as you understand. That's why Paul says to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth uh, the lo- of the love of Christ. And I understand you can be a saved man or woman just by understanding the general love of Christ, I believe. But if you want to go deeper, if you want to be sanctified even more, you have to understand the deeper realities of his love, the finer details of his love. I mean, that's what happens in the marriage. You may love each other initially as a newlywed couple, but once the excitement wears off, you start to learn each other better. And those little details, the little moments of sacrifice that your spouse has for you, the little moments of resiliency that they show, the, the, the level of loyalty and faithfulness they show over the course of time deep, actually deepens your love because you're learning more about that person. Christians, we need to look into the scriptures. We need to see the love of Christ. We need to get more specific and more detailed. He goes on to say this. Think much of the love of Christ till you comprehend with all the saints what it's his breadth and length. All right, think about it. So you could comprehend, just like Paul uh, prayed. And as you know it, you will begin to feel its power. You will begin to feel its power in your life. So feeling the love of Christ starts with knowing the love of Christ. Okay? It starts, otherwise you're making up the love of Christ in your own mind, or you just have a bunch of uh, empty spots in your uh, portrait of the love of Christ in your mind, in your heart. What does this look like in your life? Well, meditate on these truths. For example, you're learning that the love of Christ pinpointed you. You're learning that the love of Christ is eternal. You're learning that the love of Christ is very personal. Think about these things. Meditate on these things. Spend time in the love of Christ by yourself. Meditate and think about these things. There's no doubt if you're a decent note taker, you'll leave with some of these facts. But in this moment here, is giving you the information. You have to meditate on these things, soak in these things, some will say. You need to let these truths heat you up. Because guess what? To form a diamond, not only does it take incredible pressure, it takes incredible heat too. You got to feel it. The carbon's got to feel the heat from the core, the core of the earth, over 2,000 degrees of heat to be exact. You got to feel it. You got to know it, but you got to feel it. You got to meditate on these things. You got to pray that the Spirit will energize these truths and deposit them into your heart. This is how this works. Paul is clearly telling us what made him tick. Isn't that exciting? He's counseling himself. He's biblically counseling, counseling himself to get through this Corinthian trial. He's counseling us right now on how to counsel yourself through trials and also through others final point here before we get this I, I, I want to give you a little illustration here. I actually heard this song on the radio or, uh, or maybe a Pandora or something last week. It's a song called The Greatest Love of All. The Greatest Love of All. Whitney Houston. I just want to read this uh, the lyrics to us and I, thought, I think this will be helpful to frame up in, in, in our last point out of verse 15. The greatest love of all. Everybody searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfills my need. A lonely place to be. And so I learned to depend on me. 
I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadows. If I fail, if I succeed, at least I'll live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they can never take away my dignity. And here's a crescendo, right? Because the greatest love of all is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself, it is the greatest love of all. Learning to love yourself, it is the greatest love of all. This is the world's anthem of love, isn't it? Self-love, love yourself, the love of self. That, that is what the world preaches through songs and through culture, through uh, psychology, humanistic psychology. These, this is what's taught out there. In other words, you know, you got to learn to love yourself before you can love other people. Things like that, right? This is a very narcissistic mindset. This is like me, myself, and I am at the center of the universe. I live for myself. And the Corinthians were marred with this narcissism, meaning they are so into themselves. They're prideful. They're about platform. They're about lifting themselves up. But this type of mentality has seeped into the church, not just in Corinth, but today. I mean, there's a, there's a whole sleuth of self-centered type of Christianity out there. I mean, so give me, I'll give you some book titles to explain. Joel Stein writes, Your Best Life Now. Joel Stein also wrote, Rule Your Day. Joel Stein wrote, It's Your Time. Right? Those are three separate books. T.D. Jakes wrote a book called Soar. Build your vision from the ground up. Build your vision from the ground up. Joyce Myers wrote, How to Succeed at Being Yourself. In other words, use God so that you could live your best life now. In other words, use God so that you could build up your own vision. In other words, use God so that you could live for yourself. Well, is that what Paul says in verse 15? Let's take a look. Fourth and final point, the love of Christ possesses us, is what Paul says. Let's read verse 15. And he died for all. We know who all is talking about clearly now. So that they who live, those who have resurrected with Christ, that's us, would no longer live for themselves. Not your destiny, not your vision, not your best life now, not your, your uh, idea of self. Paul would have, not bought any of those books. But for him, who should we live for him? That's Christ who died and rose again on their behalf. Very clear. We don't live for ourselves, Christians. We don't live for ourselves. We live for Christ who died and rose again. We know that we've been freed for living for ourselves. We've been freed from living for sin. We, we live with Christ. So the greatest love of all is not the love of self. The greatest love of all, it's the love of Christ. It is clearly the love of Christ. As you counsel folks now, this is a big deal, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's your own self. Most of the counseling happens within between your ears. We understand this, and we can see how Paul was doing this for himself by the power of the Spirit. Understand this, narcissism is the issue of the day. This is the disease of me. This is the fatal disease of me that infects the world today. And it's, it's floating around. The, the, the molecules of these things are floating around in churches today. 
I mean, you have to be able to discern within your own heart or, or your friend or your spouse, your child, is this a self-centered thing? You know, is this about Christ or about self? You know, and they may not even be a Christian. So you got to discern, do they even know what it means to be dead and rise with Christ? Are they united with Christ? So the base counseling that needs to take place is this. Are they a non-believer? If so, minister the gospel, minister, point them to Christ so that they could be a new creation as uh, Pastor Victor preached last week. Are they a Christian? Parents, think deeply now. Are your teenage children Christians? Do they actually love Christ? Do they actually know the love of Christ? Don't just assume that they've been here for months and years that they are. Your co-worker, they're acting crazy. Are they a Christian? Well, let's not beat ourselves up. Let's understand that non-believers act like non-believers, right? The first agenda is eventually when God allows you the opportunity, evangelize them. Well, if you're dealing with a believer, edify them now. Edify them with the same tool, the gospel, the love of Christ. Tell them about the love of Christ. Tell them that Christ loves them. As you're motivating people to serve and motivating you to take their schoolwork seriously, taking their sports seriously, not watching things, you could put a bunch of guardrails and a bunch of boundaries and fences and locks and all that stuff. That's helpful. That Trust me, that's a helpful thing, but that's not the issue, right? The issue is, do you know that Christ loves you, son? You don't act like that. Christ already affirms you. You don't have to be insecure. Christ actually loved you so much that he died for you. You don't have to prove yourself like you have to do in workplace. Christ actually loves you. You don't have to uh, compromise to please that boyfriend. Christ loves you. Are you kidding me? You're selling yourself for that? Christ loves you. I'm not just blown away just thinking about this reality for myself this week. What Paul is saying, what the, God is saying, that the love of Christ controls me. The love of Christ is pressuring me and holding me and is not letting me go. And the more I started digging deeper into the love of Christ, I could feel it more. No longer do I have to live for myself, but I live for the one who died for me. No longer do you have to live for yourself, but you can live for the one who rose for you. No longer do you have to live for yourself, but you can live for the one who loves you so deeply. Amen? Amazing. The, the love of Christ controls us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that your son was crucified for us, the church. And Lord, we understand it's no longer we who live, but who Christ who lives in us. Thank you for this fact. Now, Father, I pray, as Paul wrote, that the life which I now live, which we live in the flesh, we could live for you, for your Son, who loved us so much and gave up everything for us, specifically for your people. Thank you that you're such a personal God. Thank you that you love your people so much. I pray, Lord, that, that the love of Christ will control every single one of us in here. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.